Welcome everybody to Beyond Our Sidelines. On today's episode, I'm very excited to welcome Professor Jeremy Daru from American University for a conversation about the Rooney Rule and its impact on the NFL. Um, I had some technical difficulties with the start, so my first question got, got cut off, but we kicked things off with the professor talking a little bit about how he got started in, in the work that he's doing. Uh, so please sit back and enjoy an insightful and engaging conversation with one of the mo- foremost experts on the topic. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. That quote's on my website because uh, it's, even though, you know, I think it's used a lot, and, and, but it's used a lot for a reason because um, right. right. it's, it's true. <laughs> you know, that's it, it, why it's used. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, what, 99.9% of people who play sports are not going to play professionally. And that's, that's just the reality. It's not, it's not to mean that people aren't, aren't great at it and it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, but the reality is that sports need to be used in, in different ways. We, we take the lessons from it. We, we can use it in so many different ways. Uh, and we should all be dreaming. For, I dreamt to be, you know, I, I dreamt to make it that far, you know, and we should have that dream and we should work towards it. But like, you know, we'll also use sports in, in, in the ways that can benefit, like in for the 99.9% that aren't able to do it as a profession. Um, well, let me, let me just dive right in then. Um, first, I, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really appreciative of your time. And, um, you know, I was thinking, uh, so in 2011, you wrote, you wrote a book uh, entitled Advancing the Ball, Race, Reformation, and the, Get, and the Quest for Equal Coaching Opportunity in the NFL. Um, I know how much effort that and energy and time goes into writing a book, uh, especially one that requires specific research. Um, what led you to, to that book? What led you personally to that book in, in writing on the topic? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the on the show, I, you know, there's, there are a few things I like doing more than talking about these issues of race and sport, gender and sport, disability and sport, sports society generally. So thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation. So I, I got to the place where I was, where I um, uh, launched the, you know, the, the effort to write the book because I've been a, a, a civil rights lawyer. I was an employment discrimination lawyer. And I was quite passionate about it. And, um, I, the firm where I was uh, received an inquiry from um, uh, uh, coaches of color in the National Football League who felt that they were being held back from head coaching opportunities because of race. And I came to the firm just as that matter was coming in the door. And the lead partner in the firm actually said to me, hey, listen, I'll give you the offer. You know, you can come and start working here, but I need you to work on this matter with these NFL coaches. And I was, you know, my view was like, I can't believe it. You need me to do it. There's nothing I'd like to do more. And so I immediately started working with this organization or these coaches. And it developed into, burgeoned into an organization called the Fritz Pollard Alliance, which is the organization of coaches and executives and scouts of color in the National Football League. And so in the early years of my work with that organization, pushing forth equal opportunity initiatives in the National Football League, I saw an opportunity to tell the story of the effort to diversify the league's coaching ranks, and that's what got me started writing the book. So in some ways, Ryan, it was a, um, it was a book exploring what I was doing uh, at the time as an activist uh, lawyer. 
it's also a little bit of fortuitous and good timing of uh, getting involved with yes. that. I was very, I was very fortunate and very blessed. I tell people, you know, a lot of people get into the sports law um, world through one of three ways. One, um, uh, you know, your uncle is the president of the Dallas Mavericks, right? right? Um, two, you just hustle and grind from the time you start law school and moving forward and you do all the internships and you work for free and finally something pops. And three is you get lucky. And I got lucky. Um, and I feel very fortunate about that. Although I did, once I got lucky and I saw that this nexus of race and sports existed, um, I grabbed it and held on to it. And I've just kind of been the fulcrum of my career since. I mean, that's, that's all you can do when you have that opportunity. Um, and so what is the, what's the, I mean, I'm sure you could talk for, for hours and hours about the, the topic. What's the, what's the general idea of the book? What's the, what's the book about just overall? So the book offers um, uh, an exploration of early racism in the National Football League. Uh, it starts uh, back in the days of Fritz Pollard, familiar with him, mm-hmm. the namesake of the Fritz Pollard organization, the first African-American coach in the National Football League um, in 1921, and explores the expurgation of blacks from the league as of 1934, the reintroduction um, of African-Americans in the league in 1946, the discrimination that faced um, African-Americans in the league once once African-Americans started to come back into the league, so they're restricted to certain positions, you don't see many blacks playing quarterback, and moves us forward into the 80s and 90s, when you start to find, you, know, you start to see a situation where the league is about 70% um, athletes of color, principally African-Americans, and there are essentially no coaches of color. So we see that coaching um, at the time was kind of, appeared then to be kind of the final, you know, the last bastion of white privilege in the National Football League. And since seen that expands general managers and presidents and of course owners but the coaching was the first one to tackle and so the book explores that history and then explores the movement to um, create equal opportunity in the league for coaches focusing on the creation of this rule called the Rooney rule which we'll probably talk about a little bit um, and then speaks a bit about how those initiatives uh, have made progress um, coming into the century amazing and in such an important topic and, and, and theme and idea to be to be discussing for people to be to understand um, and so I would definitely encourage anyone to to, to read your book and uh, to think further about you know this this idea uh, and, and yeah the Rooney rule I think is is something that a lot of people are aware of and they they know probably in theory what what the what the Rooney rule is but I, I would love to hear kind of your more in-depth idea of you know what is the Rooney, Rooney rule and why in 2003 was it was it implemented in the NFL sure so the Rooney Rule uh, is a rule in the National Football League that says if you are going to hire a head coach or a general manager, you must interview at least one person of color for the position before making the hire. In 2003, as you point out, the Rooney Rule came into place. At the time, it was just for head coaches. In 2007, 2008, the league, seeing the progress that had been made with respect to head coach diversity, implemented for general managers. And just this week, on Tuesday, the league took a step further and implemented it for offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, special teams coordinators, and a version of it for uh, presidents and other high-level executives. In that realm, you must interview at least one person of color or uh, one woman. And the idea behind the rule, Ryan, is uh, that if you sit down with somebody to discuss something of mutual interest, whether it's how to produce tires or how to make good soft drinks or whatever, the decision maker of the two, the person who's in the power position of those two talking is more likely to consider the person um, that he or she is talking to as a real candidate to be impactful in the realm. If you um, don't allow for that intimate interaction it's, it's less likely to happen. Sociological studies have shown us this. So the idea is let's get aspiring coaches of color in the room with owners looking for head coaches and give them a shot to make uh, an impression. And if we do that, the theory goes, we'll have more diversity among head coaches. And uh, it's borne out. 
Now, there's been some um, some backslide in the National Football League uh, since the early movement, but when the rule came into place, there was one head coach of color in the league, and it went up within a few years to eight, so a substantial increase. And much more needs to be done. I mean, that's this is the idea is this was a start, and this was uh, providing opportunity, and that was you know something that was missing up until till that point. Like the the yes. Rooney Rule was was an uh, an idea to further opportunity for for coaches and in that space. Yeah. Um, and so I think you know one of the ideas you know was that opportunity. I think you know Mike Tomlin, uh, who's obviously been an incredibly successful coach, um, and you know I think he expanded on that and he said uh, the Rooney Rule speaks to equality within the opportunity. Um, and so what are your thoughts on that idea? You know, it, so it's, it's not just the opportunity, but then the equality that comes within that opportunity. Yes, I mean, I think, I think, I think, the, I think the two pieces to it. One is when you have the opportunity, you give, you create the possibility for equality to bloom, um, kind of on the front end. But on the back end, when you grant those opportunities to individuals and those individuals then take the reins of an organization. Let's go, you mentioned Tomlin, let's go with Tomlin, um, and experience success. Well, now you've created something else. Now you've created a business argument for diversifying your staff. It may have initially been a situation wanting to provide the opportunity to a person of color who might not have gotten it. When that, when that person of color comes in and totally you know, knocks it out of the ballpark, then other club owners will say, hey, wow, this Tomlin kid, pretty impressive now maybe i need to broaden my horizons when i'm doing my search maybe i need to expand my pool maybe i need to be intentional deliberate about diversity and inclusion and then maybe i'll get the business advantage the competitive advantage that the pittsburgh steelers got they brought in mike right and he's been incredibly successful in the in the you know someone to to look to as as a really positive example of of just a coach in general. Um, and, and, you know, I think part of what you're speaking to is, is that idea. And I think this is also one of the, the impetuses behind the, the Rooney rule was to, to prompt culture change within the league. Um, I think t- uh, Tony Dungy what wrote uh, the forward in, in your book, um, yes. correct? Um, and, and I love listening to Tony Dun- Dungy speak first off. I think uh, I always love hearing his insight and, and hear his point of view. Um, but I think one of the things was to, was speaking to, to to culture change, and you know there was a stereotype of what a coach, a head coach in the NFL, looked like. Um, and so, what what do you think? Do you feel like a culture change has happened since the implementation of the Rooney Rule? And and if so, how? Yeah. So I think I mean I think there has been a culture change. Although I have to tell you, Ryan, this most recent spate of hiring, you had a couple of owners saying things like. Uh, owners who hired white candidates. Um, we should point out so that all, all of your uh, you know listeners, um, viewers understand um, that in this last hiring cycle, every club, there were five openings, every club interviewed uh, at least one person of color. Four of the five clubs interviewed two people of color, which at the time was not required under the rule. It is now under this week's alteration, but before just one person of color was required. Um, uh, but four of the clubs hired white candidates and the only club to hire a candidate of color hired Ron Rivera, who'd been fired just weeks ago by the, you know, weeks before the hire by the Carolina Panthers. So that was like a net zero, you know, right, right. no new people of color came into head coaching in the league. Um, and two of the owners said things like, and hiring white coaches said things like, I was just more comfortable with this guy or this guy really reminded me you know, me of myself at his age. And so when you hear things like that, you worry that maybe we haven't seen the culture change, um, you know, that, that we'd hoped for. Um, uh, and so I think we, we thought we saw substantial culture change early on when you started getting hirings of young African-American coaches, Raheem Morris, Levy Smith, um, and moving on from there. Anthony Lynn certainly represents that. He's a running backs coach. Um, and that goes to a different point I'll make. But so we've seen some culture change with respect to race, I think. But I think the bigger culture change um, is that we've seen 
clubs look into otherwise relatively untapped pools. Anthony Lynn is a running backs coach. Running backs coaches um, have been, for the most part, off limits with respect to head coach. There have been very few running back coaches who have become head coaches. Um, special teams coordinators, relatively rare. John Harbaugh came in, got an opportunity with the Ravens. He's essentially been a special teams coordinator. Ended up getting the head coaching job. We see what, what he's done. Some people would say he got his job because of the Rooney Rule, not because of the text of the Rooney Rule, because of the idea the Rooney Rule ushered in. The idea that if you're going to look for a head coach and you want to have the best chance of getting the best person, you're going to look broadly. So I think that the league generally has taken a broader approach to hiring. We're going to look at special teams coordinators. We're going to look at running backs coaches. We're going to look at candidates of color. Um, and so I think that, you know, the, the old idea of it just being a certain mold that's going to be the person who's going to be the head coach for a club, I think that's been, um, I don't know, uh, destabilized or diminished some, but these last couple of years, the hiring cycles have suggested perhaps some of that is still there because you've got this Sean McVay kind of doppelganger effect going on. Right. I mean, so I think that that speaks to like, you know, the the systemic challenges that 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 we that we face, not just in the NFL, but like that's that the culture change is going to potentially take take time, I guess. And we're seeing some ebbs and flows in in that change. Um, and you know, ideally, right? If it, all things being equal. Uh, you know, you're, you're getting the, the best candidate for, for whichever position it is. And I think, you know, we're seeing that not all things are, are equal and, yeah, and the opportunity sure. is still not, not there in, in the spirit that the, the rule was, was looking to, to get to. Um, That's right. And a lot of it goes to what, you know, what is the owner of a club looking for in a coach? There's a story I'll tell you. John, I don't know if you're familiar with John Wooten. John Wooten... Are you familiar with John Wooten? Yep. Yeah, so John Wooten, for your viewers, um, was a, a, a Pro Bowl player in National Football League back in the 50s and 60s. A lineman for 10 years. After that, he became uh, the most highly decorated African-American front office executive um, into the 80s. He was with the Cowboys, the Ravens, with the Eagles. Um, when, he was with the, when he was with the Cowboys, he worked under the legend Tex Schramm. And it was when there was the very beginning of agitation for opportunities for people of color in the front office. And he was close friends with Tex Schramm. So we'd get into conversations with Tex. And, um, you know, Tex would say, you know, nobody should be telling me who to hire, you know, because there was a discussion about more opportunities for people of color and perhaps um, uh, 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 requirements to interview folks. No official one, but the same idea. He said, nobody should tell me who to hire. I know who I want to hire. And John said to him, well, you're asking the wrong question. This is the wrong question. The question isn't who you want to hire. The question is who will be best for the job. We can all ask the question who we want to hire, and we can answer that question. And the answer to that question is often not the same answer to the question who's best for the job. And if you're serious about your ball club and about success on the field and as a business, you don't want to ask the question, who do I want to hire? You want to ask the question, who is best for the job? But I think the concern is we're still seeing that a lot of owners are asking, who is it that I want to hire? Rather than focusing on who is best for the job. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I think we, if, if they would a- ask that, that second question, who's right for the job, you know, that we'd see some different, different hires and different individuals in certain positions. Um, and so, you know, it's 2020 now, and so it's been 17 years since since the implementation of, of the Rooney Rule. Um, there are a lot of opinions on the effectiveness of it. Um, what's yours? So um, I think it has been effective at times and less effective at other times. Um, it was effective early on in its life, quite frankly, Ryan, I think when, when clubs took it more seriously. And I think its efficacy has dwindled since, leading us to this past Tuesday when the league has strengthened um, 
the rule. And the problem is, Ryan, that the last time a club was deemed as violating the Rooney rule and therefore punished was in 2003, the year the rule came into effect. Since then, if we had the time, we could probably detail half a dozen or more circumstances where, boy, it really looked like the Rooney rule was flapping. Um, Sure, you can interview a person of color, but under the rule, if it's not a meaningful interview, then it doesn't count as the Rooney rule's flouted. Well, it seemed like over the course of time, the NFL kind of looked the other way with respect to many um, hirings. The most recent where this happened, quite clearly in my view, was Oakland Raiders. When the Oakland Raiders were looking for a head coach to replace Jack Del Rio, <laughs> Mark Davis, the owner, wanted John Gruden. Everybody knew that he wanted John Gruden. For quite- now, John Gruden's a great coach. Right. Let's establish that. But everybody knew he wanted John Gruden. John Gruden was happy in the, um, the uh, ESPN booth. Um, finally, uh, fires Jack Del Rio, meets with Gruden over dinner before, uh, I think it's like the Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. Uh, they have a conversation, um, and he basically invites him to take the job, and Gruden essentially says he's going to get it. Indeed, when Gruden was actually introduced at the press conference a couple weeks later, Mark Davis said, we had a conversation. I said I was all in on hiring on hiring John if John wanted the job, and John said he was all in. So that takes place on Christmas Eve, I think it is, after this season's winding down. First of all, Mark Davis said he wouldn't have fired Jack Del Rio in the first place if Gruden wasn't available. Second, after that conversation, when everybody said that they were all in, the club interviewed two candidates of color. Both of those candidates of color, although fine coaches, are in nobody's view ready to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. Every year, the league puts together lists of candidates of color, candidates who aren't of color who are ready for the, um, you know, for uh, uh, you know, a promotion in coaching. Um, the Fritz Pollard Lions puts together a list, an advisory board to the league puts together a list. Nobody's list these guys want. So you tell John, you tell John Gruden, you're all in. You make it clear that you wouldn't have fired the current coach if he wasn't available. You then interview two candidates of color, neither of whom are ready for a position, and you hire John Gruden. Is that violative of the Rooney Rule? I would say absolutely, because these were not meaningful interviews to these candidates. The NFL investigated the matter and concluded it did not violate the Rooney Rule. And in the two years since that happened, hirings of color have just been through the floor. So it's an example of, I think, if we don't see enforcement of the rule, real scrutiny and attention to an enforcement of the rule, we're not going to see the effect of the rule. And that's why I think it's been less effective as of late. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that that situation clearly. And I, and I, yeah, I don't recall there being any type of enforcement or punishment for, for what, as you're describing, it seems to be a, a very clear violation of the spirit of, of what the Rooney rule is in, intended to do. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was, it was a problem, right? I mean, it, at the time, I was counsel to the Fritz Pollard Alliance, and we had numerous conversations with the league on it, and were essentially shocked. When we called for an investigation, the league did the investigation, and we were shocked at the league's conclusion. We came out quite clearly saying we thought the league was wrong, um, but in the end, it was up to the league to make the determination, and our advocacy could only go so far, and so the Raiders suffered no penalty, and I think the, the rule you know, um, suffered. Yeah, and, and I, it part, I, I wonder if part of it's because of that that term meaningful. You know, it's such a that's a, like a very subjective word that can you know I could determine meaningful very differently than you could determine meaningful than a coach or a GM or an owner could determine is meaningful. And and I wonder if if kind of that idea is part of where that channel well, the the Raiders at the time or whoever is saying, well, I felt it was a meaningful process. Right. Um, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, and there have been times going back where I think there has been some reasonable disagreement on meaningful, but I think the circumstantial facts in this case, you know, this is not a it's not a criminal trial, but I'd say it's beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, that, that's the le- that's the level at which it seems clear that they were geared in on hiring Gruden. So in this case, I don't I don't think it's reasonable to conclude um, that the interviews for either of those guys, the candidates of color, were meaningful. Yeah, and 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 so I think that, that speaks to this idea. Like this is a very divisive subject. I think within the within the 
fans of the NFL and with, you know, within individuals who follow the NFL, you know, why, you know, what do you feel are like the gaps in public perception of the rule versus, you know, the reality of its implementation or are there gaps or, you know, why is it so divisive? Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, there, there are a couple points I want to make here. Um, it is, there's no question it's caused division. Um, but there was an ESPN study that came out maybe two years ago that, um, that assessed people by race, just general football fans, by race as to whether they thought that the Rooney rule, you know, whether they were strongly in favor of it, in favor of it, neutral, you know, uh, opposed or strongly opposed. And of the white candidates polled, uh, over 67% um, said that they were either in favor of it or strongly in favor of it. So that was a shocking uh, revelation. The mm-hmm. African-Americans polled it was substantially higher, but still, that was so much shocking. But without question, there is division and there is polarization over this uh, uh, issue. And I think that the, I think there are two pieces to it. I think the first is, um, that there's an idea that it is um, reverse discrimination or affirmative action um, uh, when it's not. And this is not to say that affirmative action shouldn't exist, but this isn't even affirmative action. This is when it comes to the hiring node, there is no requirement that race be considered. Even in fact, race should not be considered. It's just for one or two people to get an interview among however many interviewees want but I think there are people out in fact I know because I've been talking about this for 17 years <laughs> I know there are people out there who believe that this is in fact a quota system and so just as a knee-jerk reaction uh, there's opposition to it um, and then I think the other piece is just that right now we are at a time um, where there's tremendous discord about race uh, worries about um, uh, you know, what the future of this country is going to look like and what opportunities will exist for, um, you know, different people in this country as a matter of race, as a matter of where you're born. And so I just think that people start to get uh, entrenched um, and very uh, focused on in-group, my stuff, out-group, other folks' stuff. And I think it, it, it just break, it breaks, it breaks people's will to think constructively and creatively about moving together as as one as a nation right yeah yeah exactly we we really we are in so many different ways divided currently we're in a we're in a really interesting space in 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 our in our history and and where we are and and how things are the conversations that we're having and um you know but i think sports has a, a really big opportunity to to help unite and and to, to not further any divide or create additional divide and um you know and i think having conversations about things like like this are, are really important in in trying to to unify the public opinion and public view on on things like something like the rooney rule or making sure that there's equality within the opportunity as as mike tomlin said and um you know so so what do people need to know about the rooney rule that maybe they don't know you know what what is it you know i feel like i feel like i know a little bit about it i've done some research i've thought about it but i i certainly don't think that i know everything about about the rooney rule and so i'm i base my opinion and view on on probably incomplete information um and sure so i think i think there are two basic things. The first one is a point I made earlier. This is not a quota. It's not only is it not a quota, it has, it, it, it's not bare on the hiring decision. It's just about giving someone a chance to get into the door and have an opportunity to advocate for themselves for the position. So that's one. And the second piece is why, why does it exist or why does it have to exist? Well, I think to understand that, we have to explore history a little bit and explore the extent to which um, as I indicated, as I discussed when we first started talking, um, African Americans have been excluded from sport. And to the extent that they've been included in sport, they have been included in broad areas and not quote unquote brain areas. So even in, during the time when, um, uh, you know, when blacks were first coming back into sport, uh, and then that will go to National Football League. 
you were less likely to see um, African-Americans, as we discussed, everyone that was playing quarterback, but also playing center, playing middle linebacker, playing safety, kind of up the middle, the positions on the field, the positions people thought were thinking positions. African-Americans were largely um, uh, pushed out of those. It's called positional stacking is the term for it. And you see the same thing in other uh, sports. For the longest time, you saw it in pitcher and catcher. Uh, in baseball, you saw it in point guard and basketball. Uh, in soccer, you saw it at the goalkeeper position. Um, and, so, so, and, and over you know, the course of the last, I'd say, two, three decades, most of these, most of this positional stacking has evaporated. It's still existing at the quarterback position in football, by the way. I mean, we, you know, I, uh, uh, I think at the beginning of the 2018 season, 2000, yeah, so a couple of years ago, um, the percentage of black quarterbacks in the league was about 22%, whereas the percentage of black players is about 70%. And it's not changed that much in the last couple of years. What you've seen is a higher percentage of those 22% becoming star players like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, these guys. And so you're seeing them more, mm-hmm. but across the board, they're still badly underrepresented. But we made great progress on the playing side of things. But if you can imagine the level of exclusion um, uh, 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 in, in the part of the game that still involves some level of athletic involvement, um, then imagine the amount of exclusion we've seen historically in the part of the game that involves no athletic involvement, involves only intellectual and leadership ability, areas in which there's been um, uh, narrative for centuries, born of slavery, that African-Americans just weren't smart enough. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't operate on their own. They certainly couldn't run a, 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 a sports team. Um, when you started to see that breakdown, Ryan, you saw a breakdown first with respect to to sports that, that are deemed to be more simple. Uh, basketball, you've got a 12-man roster maybe. You've got five players at a time. There's a certain number of plays and sets, but um, a coach is not organizing this massive ship. In football, you've got, when the season begins, a 53-man ma- roster. You've got an extraordinary number of sets. Out of those, so many different plays come out. You've got the offense, the defense, the special teams. You have a head coach has to be a leader, has to be a coordinator. Well, for a long time, people felt as though, you know, blacks just couldn't do that. And so those have been headwinds for so long that now we're in a position where those headwinds are starting to fall away. We still have a much smaller pool of individuals who have themselves grown up thinking they even had a chance to take these sorts of jobs. Right. Uh, and, who, and, and who have been kind of pushed out of and held back in these sorts of jobs. So all the Rooney Rule does is to give these folks we're describing this category of folks with a substantial headwind, the opportunity to get in the room and talk and advocate for their ability to do the position. That's all it requires. It doesn't seem to me that that's a bridge too far to anywhere. It seems to me a totally reasonable and non-radical proposal and rule. And I try to say it as often as I can, but some people still deem it to be radical. And I just disagree that it is. Well, it, it shouldn't be a bridge. You know, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be... Um... There, there shouldn't be that gap. It should be. I, I don't think your your idea and what you're what you're talking about is 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 radical at all. It's it's about that opportunity to to have the conversations and to to be a part of the the conversation. And um, you know that speaks to to the bigger conversation that that is before the the, the NFL. And and it's a it's a long conversation that's been been having over over a long period of time. Um, and, and we're still seeing. So it's 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 nice to to see and hear. That, that headway is being made on the field and, you know, it's been slower to happen off the field, but, you know, hopefully through the continued conversation and continue focus on the, on the topic that, that, that starts to change. Um, yeah, we hope so. Uh, and, and, you know, but, the, but then again, you know, we, we all watched, did you watch the NFL draft? I did. Um, you know, and I think that also sparked a little bit of the conversation. It was really nice to get a kind of a sneak peek into the behind the scenes side of, of the, 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 the room for the GMs and the head coaches, but it also, you know, then brought to light, you know, some of the, the conversations and topics that, that you just, that you just mentioned that you've been talking about. And, you know. Yeah. I don't know if you read, um, I don't know if you know Jason Reed with mm-hmm. ESPN's Undefeated, but Jay wrote 
uh, an extraordinary piece about just that, which your viewers may want to check out. And it's really a, a really good piece that explores what we saw that night and what it says about what NFL front offices uh, look like. And it does not paint a pretty picture, as you point out. Right, yeah. And, and, and so what were your thoughts when you were watching? Uh, well, I wasn't surprised because with a lot of the work that I've done with the league, I both, I both know the, the numbers and the stats, um, but I also know a lot of the, the, you know, the folks in those rooms. Uh, and so I, you know, I knew what we'd, be, what we'd be seeing, but I think for those who aren't as familiar, it may have been striking. Yeah, I know for me, I, I was as I was watching, and, and you know, I'm a fan of of all sports, and um, so I'm just an NFL fan, and and but watching that definitely was was eye opening, and I I I read a lot, and I do research, and I think about it a lot, and I talk to a lot of people, and I and so I would like to think that I'm I'm uh, have a, a good amount of understanding, but I, I was I was very surprised, and I don't think I fully understood the you know what was what I was seeing and, and understanding the situation uh, at the level that, that you're talking about. Um, yeah, there was, I mean, it was, it was bad. You know, I, I, um, I actually, first of all, I usually don't watch the draft um, just because, uh, you know, I, I don't find it that exciting. I right. like to read about it the next day. Yeah, me too. But with no sports going on anywhere, of course I was watching the draft. And, um, and uh, a buddy, the, the, the coach of my son's track team, got guys together on this kind of a Zoom happy hour thing to watch the draft together. And so a bunch of us were watching it, maybe 12, 13 guys. Um, and, uh, and the reference was made to the lack of people of color. And in fact, it was, um, uh, it was like a revelation when you, had, when you went to Rick Spielman and the Vikings uh, because he has adopted kids who are African-American. So you, you actually, like, it was, it, was, it was striking to see an African-American um, in any picture, um, you've only got two in the league uh, who are GMs. You got Chris Greer down in Miami and um, Andrew Barry, who's younger than me by a margin, probably even younger than you. Yep. <laughs> um, young guy who's a who just started as the as the Browns general manager. But outside of those two guys and um, some folks in their staff and in, and and in Rick Spielman's house, there wasn't there weren't people of color at all. Yeah, it was really it was really eye opening, and then and then you know shortly thereafter we were, were starting to to hear you know about proposed changes to to the Rooney Rule, and we're, and we're starting to hear more about some of these proposed changes. And um, you know, do you think some of that came from 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 that from the draft and from seeing you know people seeing that this was the reality of of you know what was happening in the NFL? I do. I think so, and I think that you know the the league. Folks in the league didn't need Jason Reed's article. I think a lot of people um, uh, among spectators and fans needed it. But I think the league, the league knew it had a problem, and now it's put its problem on full display to the country and the world. And so I think they quickly wanted to move to, um, you know, to seek to rectify. I should point out that after the situation we discussed in Oakland, when um, the league found that the club did not violate the rule, but we at the Fritz Power Alliance felt that. The, that they did and many others felt that they did. Um, after that, um, we pushed for many reforms to the Rooney Rule. Um, and, and the great bulk of them were, were rejected, hmm. um, including uh, expansion of offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and special teams coordinators, including expansion to the front office. So I think the NFL has realized that in the last two years, things have gotten markedly worse and so they've become more aggressive in trying to make things markedly better i mean i, I certainly hope you know in that kind of eye-opening experience as a fan but also then hopefully the nfl seeing that as an eye-opening experience positive things will come from that um do, do you think the the changes the proposed changes are positive do you think that they're uh... well they're positive i definitely are positive whether um they will be effective um, rests entirely on enforcement. Yeah, so that was that was kind of my my thing. My like, what? How do we ensure that the proposed changes and then the Rooney Rule as it as it is now is effective? And, and what things can can the NFL be doing? But then also maybe us as fans and and you know f- folks that are watching the NFL and, and are involved. What, what could what can be done to make sure that it is effective? 
Yeah, I mean, so I think the first, I mean, the, the, the key thing is scrutiny and enforcement. I mean, I just I feel like there have been too many times when the NFL has kind of turned, kind of turned the blind eye to what might or might not be um, uh, a Rooney Rule violation. And let's keep in mind, let's go back to the structure of professional sports for a minute, right? So I'm not sure everyone underst- you know, understands, but, you know, you've got the commissioners, the commissioner of sports league. And the NFL is really made up of 32 individual businesses, the different clubs. And um, the commissioner is hired by the owners. And the commissioner can be fired by or terminated or contract not renewed um, uh, uh, by the owners. And so the entire NFL front office is both, you know, it's hired by, but also serving at the pleasure of the clubs. So you can see, you know, there can be, you know, it can be a situation where um, you obviously want the league obviously wants to be true to its philosophies and perspectives, but at the same time, they have to reflect what the owners want because it's the owners who actually are those who run the league. They're the ones who own all of the franchises. So it can be difficult, and I think at times the NFL is the league office is not. Um, come down hard when they when they when they probably should have. So I think you need to scrutinize all hirings and be prepared to make the tough call of uh, of, of um, emphatically saying yes, the Rooney Rule is violated and they will be punished. Back when the Lions violated it in two thousand three, um, they were punished. Two, they were fined two hundred thousand dollars. Paul Tagliabue, former commissioner who who handed down that fine said afterwards the next club will be fined five hundred thousand dollars um in 2018 after the whole oakland debacle while the nfl didn't implement some of the changes that were proposed they did implement um uh, some others and made clear that the commissioner had discretion to penalize clubs that violate the rule um and so perhaps the commissioner's discretion will allow the you know the league to um uh uh, uh, hand down fines of more than a half million dollars. You know, these owners are pretty well capitalized and you hit them with bigger amounts, maybe that makes a difference. There's been, an arg- you know, various other arguments about perhaps um, stripping a draft pick from a club that violates the rule. Now, in light of the, the, the substantial uh, controversy last week when the uh, league initially proposed that there be um, uh, elevation of draft picks based on your hiring of, of candidates of color and the owners ultimately tabled the matter. There's going to be now a controversy around the draft pick as a, as a penalty. Um, but I just think he has to be creative to push the right buttons to get the clubs to do what they've agreed, the clubs to do what they've agreed to do um, under the Rooney Rule, which all 32 clubs agreed to, by the way. It's a unanimous agreement. Right. Um, uh, and I think the league has to hold the owners to feet, feet to the fire um, in order to get some some progress through the rule. But also think creatively about other non-union rule related uh, initiatives that might help to increase diversity and inclusion in the league. So there, there's a little bit of conflict, the conflict of interest there within that structure, uh, which yeah, which creates. A tough a... One. I, mean, I teach about it in sports law. Every time I teach pro sports, it's a tough one. Um, and you see some uh, owners who, excuse me, some commissioners who handle it well and some who don't handle it well. Um, most commissioners take the approach of essentially politicking um, and building consensus among owners such that those owners and the more powerful owners can persuade their fellow owners to do certain things. I'm not going to go into who's the most powerful owner in the league, but you could probably think that the two or three who are at the very top and others who, quite frankly, yield far less power. And so the commissioner's job usually is to get a coalition together strong enough to bring all the other owners along with them. Right, right. Yeah, that's a that's a whole different topic of, of conversation is the, the is is diving into to that idea. Um, but what can I what can I do as a fan? What can a fan do to to be engaged in this in this conversation and and to be involved? Well, I mean, I think that, quite frankly, you know, you can, you know, uh, talk with your walk. You know, that is to say, if you're unhappy with the way in which your club is operating, you let the club know by reaching out to club ownership and making your, 
you're self-known. If you're a season ticket holder, it probably carries more weight than if you're a more casual fan. Uh, but you can also uh, leave the team and refuse to support them anymore until they operate in a way that jives with your philosophical um, approach to these matters. I mean, switching the topic a bit, let's go to the Washington, uh, NFL's Washington Football Club. So they've got a name that a lot of people deem to be uh, a pejorative name, um, a name that insults Native Americans. Um, and there have been a fair number of fans of the club who have either stopped buying um, you know, club merchandise or abandoned the team. Now, that has not forced the hand of the owner. The owner has said that he would never change the name of the team and may never change the name of the team. But he's also an ex- quite highly capitalized owner who could suffer through um, some financial downturns, which he's suffering now because the club has been bad and folks haven't been going to get as many games. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can do the same sort of thing. You can, as a fan, as a group of fans, as a large group of fans, if you're willing to coordinate your, uh, you know, your friends uh, and fellow fans, you can make a statement indicating that you want a certain level of equity, equal opportunity. Not that you want a coach of color, but you want everybody to have the opportunity. You want the best coach there because you want a Super Bowl. And if your club does not pursue um, uh, diverse uh, interviewing, uh, initiatives, you're concerned that you're disadvantaged, the club is disadvantaging uh, itself and hampering your, you the fans, opportunity to be a part of a Super Bowl winning uh, fan base. Right, exactly. I think uh, yeah, we can we can speak with the with the money that we spend and the support that we give. Um, yeah. do, do you think, last thing for you, um, do, do you think, you know, I think ultimately uh, I would love it if there wasn't a need for the Rooney Rule. There wasn't a need to have something like the Rooney Rule in place and then changes to it. Um, is that something that you do you share that kind of perspective and just, you know, that, that there sh- shouldn't need to be something like the Rooney Rule in place? Yes, I do share that perspective. I wish we didn't have to have it in place. Right now, we absolutely do, in my view, and we need other equal opportunity initiatives as well. But um, I would like for the day when we don't need it. Now, how do we get to that day? I don't think there's any numerical, I don't think that a certain number of head coaches or general managers of color um, in the league should put us in a position where we say, oh, we don't need the rule anymore. Rather, I think it's, I, mean, I think when we see that the threshold for getting a job or getting a second job is the same across race, then I think we've reached a place where maybe we can sunset some of these rules. So um, in the history of the National Football League, I don't know if you know this, there has never been an African-American general manager who's been fired and then got another GM job, ever. You start counting through them and you're not going to find any. Um, with respect to white coaches, um, there are such examples and a fair number of them. Uh, excuse me, with respect to white general managers, there are such examples and a fair number of them. With respect to coaches, um, there are some African-American coaches who have had second opportunities, um, but the percentage of white coaches who've had second opportunities um, uh, eclipses that um, uh, the there are more white coaches who have gotten in the door with less experience in the National Football League, a shorter resume, let's say, than there are coaches of color. Um, right. um, you know that is a, there. There's been a move to kind of get the next Sean McVay, and it's resulted in a few people who. Um, weren't really on the radars of a lot of folks as being real strong candidates because of their, their, their small resumes or short resumes who've gotten head coaching opportunities. Now, I'm not saying they're bad coaches. They could have great success. All I'm saying is that if we're going to um, uh, uh, have a certain threshold for coaches, let's say, let's have it across the board so that once we get to a point where an African-American coach um, who, who's had very little experience in the league um, is very young, can get a job in the way that um, some of the f- uh, recent head coach hires can get a job, then I think we've gotten there. We have some of those in National Football League history. We've got Mike Tomlin, of course, and Raheem Morris. Uh, but beyond those guys, there aren't very few kind of young and experienced guys who've had the opportunity. So some disproportionality there that's a problem in my view. Once we get past that disproportionality, um, then I think we're in a place where we can start sunsetting these sorts of initiatives. 
and 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 I I I do have faith and hope that we will get there. Um, and although we should already be there, um, we, we shouldn't have to have that conversation and, and that topic. And maybe you know it needs to filter down to college and high school, and you know create you know a, a, some synergy there where where you know we don't have to have a conversation like that um, at any level. Um, yeah. And so uh, I do have, but I do have faith, and I do I do want to you know think positive that we will get to that that point where where something like the Rooney Rule is not um, in place. Um, and I hope we get there very soon. Um, yeah, although we should already be. So. Um, but so, so what would you leave us? What would you leave us with on this topic? Like on this idea of of diversity in the NFL and diversity within the coaching and, and GM ranks, and um, you know the Rooney Rule and, and, and where it's going. I would say um, that we're not where we need to be. You know, we are. You know, this nation has had um, some monstrous struggles with. Uh, with equality and, and discord, uh, racial as well as other sorts of discord. But there is an idea, there is a meritocratic idea that um, that exists, at least in the lore of this country. Now, let's be true to that. Let's be true to that. The best person gets the job. Right now, in order for uh, people of color in the National Football League to even have a shot to show they're the best person, we need these sorts of initiatives. We want to get to the place where the best gets the job no matter what, and hopefully we'll be there um, at some time in your lifetime and in mine. I, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, uh, but I, you know, I just want to thank you for for sitting down to me for for the the last hour and, and having this conversation. And um, you know, in my mind, it, it, we need this and so many more conversations to be to be had, and we need to continue the conversation and make sure that we get to that that point much sooner than, than, than later. Um, so I'm just very grateful for, for your time and for, for sitting down with me and, um, you know, thanks for, for joining me. Oh, you're welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me.